It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For over 20 years, Dr. James Maxwell and his team at Crestwood Dental have been providing quality care to patients of all ages. They offer a variety of services from cleanings to cosmetic dentistry and restorations with today's most advanced technology, including the most up-to-date lasers, digital x-rays, and impressions. They offer Invisalign and custom aligners with their 3D printer. Crestwood Dental accepts most insurance plans and a membership program for uninsured patients. Schedule today at 314-463-5655 or crestwooddental.com. This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Jeff Burton, Donnie Fandango, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. Powered by Together Credit Union, empowering you to achieve your financial goals. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast, Jamie Rivers. Jeff Burton, Donnie Fandango, the NHL season has begun, and the Blues have even played a game. How about that? Crazy, right? Huh? Okay, but before we start with hockey, I want to ask you guys, just point blank, something else sports-related. Oh, boy. All right. Jeff, do you need your lawyer present? Yes. (laughs) My P.O. And it's it's a simple, and it's a very simple one. But parole officer, right? Yeah. Okay. It was just oh, yeah. weird. Donnie, the way like, you don't know what that means. Good one, Donnie. Oh, no, I actually, I did. I had a parole officer for a while. Attaboy. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. yeah I, remember, I had a. I've never seen you at the meetings. That's I cool. I had an issue in Tennessee. It was, it was ridiculous. But mm-hmm. anyway, anyway. So did, we can tell that story sometime. I mean, the laws in sure. Tennessee are so I mean, tight, though. I mean, come on. It yeah. is different, right? It, like, it, was, it was, can I just say this? Just, it was a greenery-related offense. Oh, you were gardening naked again. Ah, yes. Okay. Exactly. Nice. So it was that's a problem. That's not his thumb that's green. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, just simply, did Mike Schilt get done dirty by the Cardinals? Um, This whole thing is so weird to yeah, me, and it just feels he, weird. I don't think he got done dirty by the Cardinals. I think what happened, uh, from my understanding and just dissecting, because we'll never get the exact truth on it, I think that... Mike Schilt shifted gears during that 17 game stretch. And I think he got away from some of the really analytically driven philosophies that the Cardinals have. And there was success, obviously 17 game winning streak. And, and you end up making the playoffs or at least the wild card game. And, and you go from there. And it's my understanding that Mike Schilt said, Hey, we need to step away from some of these analytics, and I would like to do it my way next year. And, of course, that's just a sliver of what – and the Cardinals, I'm sure, I don't know. This is just my opinion. So if you're listening at home, it's just my opinion that the Cardinals probably said, we've got a couple million dollars invested in you, Mike Schilt, but we have tens of millions of dollars invested in other staff, software, analytical people, all this stuff. So – we're going to go in that direction. Take care. Comb your hair. Right. 
Right. So, well, so is that's a change. my opinion. Yeah, so if I, you, I don't think you're probably wrong. No, man. I think that sounds like it could be very, yeah. very possible. So, in your opinion, he's the one who changed his philosophy, if you will. Yeah, Mike Schilt changed the guy's it been with the organization for what eighteen years 18 or something like that. And all of a sudden, so you take he, a hard left. Yeah, exactly. Right. So he obviously knew what they were building internally and how long they've been building it from within, and they. The, I do think it goes back to a Jeff Albert thing. I don't think Jeff Albert the person, right? Because we always give Jeff Albert crap because, like, Jeff Albert, it's not the person. It's the 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 philosophy of the analytics slash their hitting approach and all that. It's not an individual that's the problem. It's maybe the the strategy, but maybe it's not even the problem because when you look at some of the younger guys that excelled this year, that's direct result of – Jeff Albert, too. Like, take away the Cardinals guys where some people say, well, it was Schilty, you know, and O'Neal got better because Schilt said, screw this, we're not doing that. How do you explain Juan Yepes in the minors? How do you explain Jordan Walker and Nolan Gorman, who guys are tearing the cover off the ball down there? They're not going rogue. You know, so it it is what it is. This philosophy that was in place is something that Mike Schilt knew for sure. But I think Schilty probably felt comfortable enough that he'd made the playoffs every single time that he was manager for the full season, and he's got the highest winning percentage of any Cardinal manager in history. Now it's sample size compared to, like, Whitey and some of the right. guys who were here for such a long time. But he probably was confident in the fact that he could voice his opinion and stand firm. He, he bet wrong. <laughs> hey, hey, Mo, you, you saw that 17-game yeah. that, that tore off. Here's what I want. I want a lap pool. <laughs> <laughs> I want a chair with a high back on it. <laughs> I want one of those high-priced shortstops that are going to be free uh-huh. agents in the offseason. He probably wants- did mention something about upgrading in certain areas and spending a little bit more money, which is always dangerous when you're not the one actually writing the checks. It's so fascinating to me. But but also, too, that, that role of manager in baseball and coach is, is a different thing now than it was even 10 years so ago. so weird now. It's really weird. Yeah. And I don't really love it, how it works out, especially in baseball. I don't like to feel like... And I know it's John Mazalock's team. I get it. And Michael Gersh, and I get it. But, like, I like that managerial thumbprint, man. You have to have somebody that's in the trenches, right? Like, because, and I'll say this to the end of time in hockey, in football, in baseball, basketball, any sport, any sport, you got the GM and the owner that are up in the box somewhere and they're watching. They got a great view from way up top, and they've got all these numbers that kind of tell you, oh boy, you know, this is good, this is bad. But the coach is right there in the trenches. He sees who's laboring, who might be injured, who just, like in hockey, he just blocked a shot. He can't go right now. I know he's the best penalty killer we have, but he's actually not going to be as good as he can be. Or the reverse of that is, I know the numbers are better for player X, but player Y is sitting here, and player Y has had an incredible game. He's been awesome on the penalty kill. He's been shutting things down. I'm going with player Y. Even though the numbers, if I dive into them, tell me this other guy's better. The coach has that feeling. He's right there in the moment and knows. And it's, that's not every situation. There's a lot of situations where the coaching staffs now, they do defer to the numbers. Because not that it's easier, but it is. Okay, the numbers say this. Here's the narrative. Okay, let's take a look. Okay, it makes sense. It doesn't make sense. I like it. I don't like it. We'll proceed. So who, before we switch to, to hockey here, who do you guys think right now, who do you think in your head is going to be the next manager of your St. Louis Cardinals? Um, everybody says Stubby Clap, Stubby Clap. I don't think it's Stubby Clap. I really? don't think so. I like him. Every, every report is that Stubby's awesome, okay? I think it's going to be Marmel. Me too. I think it's going to be Ollie Marmel. He's a young guy. 
And I think right now, John Mozeliak, if you look at some of his important positions, now Mike Maddox being a little bit of a veteran guy too, but he's got a lot of youth, a lot of that new baseball energy that's coming into the Cardinals. Uh, you know, they're dug out their clubhouse and from the top to the bottom. I just think it's a guy that knows exactly what's going on. The players absolutely love him. They think he's an awesome dude. And you're getting him in on the ground floor as far as how old he is. He's not a very old guy. So you're probably going to keep the cost down if you're the Cardinals, which is great because we're always looking to the the mighty penny and the mighty dollar. But you've also got three or four or five years of where you can work with this individual and make them into the manager you want them to be. And he's he's an organization guy, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He was drafted by the Cardinals. It was never going to be in a major league baseball player, but the Cardinals loved him so much that they were like, yeah, would you be a coach? Right. Like literally like convinced him. I heard you guys talking yeah, about yeah, this. Yeah, coach. Yeah. Yeah. And they kept him in the organization, and now he's the bench coach for – the the Cardinals, which is a very important position. I mean, essentially, you're you're one step below the manager at that point. So I think elevating his status would make the most sense. The other one for me, Skip Schumacher. Yep, same here. Skippy out there in San Diego. People say, oh, they they try to attach him to the disaster that happened with the Padres this year because they were supposed to be so amazing. Okay, yeah, he does. He has a hand in it because he was part of the organization. He was associate manager, which is a made-up title, basically. All they did is probably paid him a few more bucks, gave him a better title so that he wouldn't lose him, Right. which tells me everything I need to know, that he needs to be a manager somewhere. Right. Yeah. If you've got a team that's making up a name or a title for somebody, you know that that guy's worth having, and he knows the organization. He's very, very analytically driven as well, but he also has the – ear of the players. Skip Schumacher was a heck of a baseball player and super respected. So imagine if you had both elements of the new school along with the, hey, I played school. You know what his, you know what his lifetime betting average was? Skip Schumacher? I don't either. I was just hoping you guys would know. No, but I think it was like around. Just say anything, dude. That was That's, awesome. You no, got to stalter it. That's Anthony Stalter. He just makes up a number. He'll be like, oh, three eleven. I think it was like two seventy or something. Really impressive, actually. I mean, that was you know, man. That it's guys like that 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 wind up seemingly being the great managers and coaches because they didn't have that A plus plus talent. They had to make up for what it's, they had. Johnny, I can tell you right now that there's very few star players that end up being star coaches. Yeah, man. We and talked about that with Gretzky This before. is how I ended up being a coach and being so detailed with some of the skills stuff and that. And and this is why, like, when I explain things or when I do uh, presentations with video and things, I'm on it because I had to know it inside and out. If you didn't know it as a bubble player or a role player, if you didn't know exactly where you're supposed to be, what the systems were, you got whoop. Out of there. Uh, first of all, quickly, uh, Skip Schumacher. proud of himself here now. He found out how to work his flip Two. phone. Hey, uh, Donnie, I just want to let you know <laughs> yeah. that I looked on my smartphone, and uh, Skip Schumacher's uh, lifetime batting average is 278. Wow, wow. you were impressive. way off. And I was about ready to give you a compliment jerk face. Uh-oh. Well, so well, now I was going to say that Saturday night's game, uh, the lead up to it, I was very excited to watch you do your pregame thing. Mm. I was literally out on my deck, and I know that you know. And when you're when I'm out on my deck, you can see inside the house. I know you know that. Oh yeah, I do. And I do. Trees I, are great. Cover. I do a lot of standing out on the deck and watching TV through there. And when the the pregame thing first started with you, I literally said to Julie, I was like, "Oh, the pregame's on. Let's go watch Jamie." Now I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> Dude, he looks sharp too, man. I, you know what? I my favorite part of it is the fact that you that you point with the hockey stick. Oh, the yeah. Oh, you know, with the big uh, yeah. the big screen and That's your details your, matter. Oh, gotta yeah. Have you, gotta Love have it. your pointer. Jeff. I think it, now is that a game used stick? 
No, I don't no. know. It wasn't my stick. Oh, it wasn't? So no. we just gave I it I can't to afford you. sticks like that anymore. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I'm asking. Sticks I know are like 300 bucks? They no, pulled Jeff. it off the wall at Spinning Wheels or yeah. something? Was uh, it a, a Donnie model? It had know. Fandango on it. So because way. you're mad at Jamie, you had no, to take a swipe at that. That no. was a crap sandwich that, that like missed the mark, but it hit you. Right. Yeah. I was just, hey man, I'm not even doing it. I'm just thinking about what we're going to talk about next. I don't yeah. deserve that sort of thing. Well, let's talk about Saturday. We should. That probably makes sense. And we always talk about how Braden Shen is that guy to go out there and do what needs to be done. And Donnie and I were talking about this earlier in that he goes out there 40 seconds in or whatever it was and starts a fight to exact some revenge for the fall kit last year. So why don't you rewind it, though? For people who maybe don't remember why Kadri was the target, do you remember why? Yeah, I was about ready to say that when you interrupted me. Okay. <laughs> boy, oh boy. I wonder if the podcast is going to get finished today, everybody. <laughs> Speaking of 40 seconds to get into it here... Yeah, well, you take off your jacket. He Jeff. laid out. He laid out Falk last year. So uh, Shen goes. You know what? I'm going to take care of this. And my question, jerk face. Third time I've said that. By the way, Jeff, you keep taking is, off your jacket and stuff. I'm going to think it's go time in here, Donnie. Get hey, the first aid. I'm kit. not going to. I'm not going to stop anything. And I'm don't just drop the, And I'm going to record. You run your mouth like that. Don't drop the cancer card either. Okay? Oh, I don't I care. No, I'm not going. <laughs> to. I do think though that that needs to be that'll taken be, into consideration. No, that'll be me kicking cancer's ass. <laughs> Okay, back right. on the track. So, what I was going to say, Donnie, was uh, do we think we need him to be the one to go out there and fight? We've talked about this before. But for Christ's sake, give somebody else a chance, 40 seconds. You know what I'm saying? But I guess us <laughs> I guess us wanting Brayden Shen not to do this doesn't matter because he looks no, like he's, he's going to do, do it anyway. Either way and still, like, break a finger and score a goal or something. Yeah, he look, at, the Blues still, still don't have somebody to take that role. They really don't. Like, people will say, well, Kyle Clifford, okay, but... Kyle Clifford has to be in the lineup Mm -hmm. for starters. And two, will Nazem Kadri, will he fight Kyle Clifford? Probably not. He'd probably be like, dude, you're going to play, you know, whatever, fourth line. I'm not getting involved. I'm first line center right now. Would he give him like a, who are you kind of No, he wouldn't give him that because that'll get you slashed in the face. Um, (laughs) But he would give him, he would give him the, you know, I'm not dealing with you type thing. Got it. Um, But so Braden Shen goes out there and grabs him right away. And as soon as they touched the ice, I... We were down the studio, and, and the legend himself, Bernie Federko, beside me. I said, oh, here we go, Bernie. Watch this. He, sure enough, Raiden Shen grabs him, and, and they have a little go around there. I don't mind it when it's somebody of equal value, and I think that Kadri is equal value to Braden Shen. I don't mean like, oh, this isn't a debate of who's a better player, who's tougher. It's their role within their respective teams is pretty equal. So both guys going off for five minutes, both teams are suffering the same amount at that point. I liked it. I love it. I think the teammates, every guy, including the coaching staff and anybody else that the other night, including us at the desk in the intermission with old Danny Mack, like we're talking about it and we're praising Braden Shan for being that guy. That's who he is. You can take the Saskatchewan or you can take the player out of Saskatchewan, but you can't take the Saskatchewan <laughs> out of the player, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's Braden Shan. So I loved it. I applauded it on Saturday night. Now, to your point after that, moving forward. I would like somebody else every now and then to tap somebody on the shoulder and have it not be Braden Shen because you're going to need him. You know, he scored a great goal later on in the game with a dislocated finger at the same time, which was hilarious because mm-hmm. as soon as he pulled off his glove, Bernie and I were like, oh, look at his finger sideways. <laughs> it's great for picking your nose sometimes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Man, Especially but, when your nose is crooked. But, but how does this, how does that role like sort of evolve on this team? Because dudes, as we're sitting here talking about this, this fight, every... 
the last like five scraps that I remember seemingly all involved Braden Shin. Mm-hmm. And more than anything else, I appreciate the kind of player he is. I want him to be whatever kind of player he wants to be. I just don't want homeboy to break his hand and be gone for six weeks. Yeah, cue Jake Neighbors. Okay, and and Dakota Joshua. Like, let's not forget about Dakota Joshua. Yes, he's down in the minors right now, um, but that's because they want him to continue to develop and play and so that he can come up and contribute in a real way for the St. Louis Blues. But those two guys, and Jake Neighbors isn't a fighter by any means, but if you go on YouTube, Jake Neighbors, he's got a couple of really good scraps. Now he's still a young man, very young. And it can take you a while before you get to your comfort level of, hey, I wouldn't mind going tangling with this 33-year-old man who has three kids and he's balding and, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. sometimes you're like, yeah, maybe I'm not going to, maybe I'll sidestep this for a minute. But it won't take him very long because I think he looked very comfortable the other night. He got to the front of the net. He was, you know, wrestling it up a little bit, finishing his hits. It will come, but you're right, Donnie. This team desperately needs somebody else. They don't need to acquire anybody. No, I don't even mean it that way. No, I know. They just need somebody from within to play with a little more, not even jam, a little more like, yeah, I'll do it type thing. And sometimes I played on some teams in in my career that didn't have any toughness. Like when I played with the Ottawa Senators, we were an amazing team. We won the Eastern Conference. It was We ran away with it. But the team toughness was Shane Knighty and myself. Okay, I'm not disrespecting us, but d- 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 take a look at the league in <laughs> 2001. Right. That wasn't cutting it. Right. You know what I mean? But what we did is whenever there was a problem on the ice, we would say this in the locker room. All five guys are in. All five guys. And that way they're like, even if a fight breaks out, somebody's grabbing somebody by the head, the back, they fall down, the referees are involved. Nobody ever gets strung out and gets their ass kicked type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the Blues currently are way tougher than that team was that I played for in Ottawa. So they have the ability. They have a Robert Bortuzzo. They have a Nico Mikola who would guarantee he'll insert himself into the battle. They've got uh, Justin Falk who's not afraid to get involved. Marco Scandella is not afraid to get in there and grab somebody. You've got uh, you know Jake Neighbors. We talked about him already. Braden Shen, and I just think Pavel Buchnevich, believe it or not, that guy's not afraid to get in there and grab. He grabbed a few guys the other night. He had a couple of big hits. I think it's going to have to come by committee rather than just like, oh, here's our guy. Look out now. And you you bring up Jake Neighbors, and I know he threw the body around a little bit. Um, And what I read from what Barube said, and this was on The Athletic, is that he was very impressed, said he played a very good game. And he threw his body around a bit, and there was a couple of shots that he wished he would have taken yeah. that he I, did me not. Me too. Yeah, me too. The other night, uh, Bernie and I were sitting there, and first of all, Jake Neighbors made a couple of incredible plays. Like, Tyler Bozak was up on, like, a two-on-one kind of sort of with him, and he made the pass to Jake Neighbors, and Jake Neighbors tapped it, like, one-touched it right back to him, which was, that's the play to make. That's the NHL play to make, and Tyler Bozak should have just fired a one-timer at that point. Probably would have scored. But Tyler Bozak wasn't expecting Jake Neighbors at that point because he, Jake could have shot the puck. He had a great shot on net as well. So Bozy lays it over there and starts going towards the net because he's thinking, I'm going to get a rebound or whatever. And Neighbors taps it back to him like a very skilled player would. Caught Bozy a little bit off guard, whatever. But still, the two things I, I like and don't like in that play is, one, I'd like to see him shoot the puck because I think he's got an opportunity to score goals. He had a couple other opportunities throughout the game where – if he shot the puck, probably get a scoring chance out of it. But the flip side of it is I love his hockey IQ. Mm. And we heard about this from Craig Berube in the training camp and preseason. Everybody talking about, man, this kid is hes beyond his years with his maturity and his hockey IQ. That's just a little example. His first NHL game ever, and he's thinking about tapping it back in an area where he should be shooting it. 
I was really impressed with him. So I don't know if this is a question that you guys can kind of answer, and I'm sorry that if I just jumped if you were going to say mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. No, never I don't want Jeff us today. to start firing. No, I was going to sneeze probably. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Jeff's a jerk face. Never mind him. No, you but, are times three. So so what is the... No, I know you are, but what am I? I, I? I don't... I mean, I understand the nine games, but J- Jamie, how do you see this ending for this young man, or how do you see this... If he plays like the other night, I see... He's him. making the team. He's, he's on the team. Find easy. a place to live, kid. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because a lot a lot of people are going. Hey, do you do you rest him today? Not rest him. Do you not play him today to keep that that amount this is of a game games? I'm playing him in for sure. Uh, Arizona but, Coyotes. This is yeah. the reason I'm playing him against the Coyotes. If it's me, is because they have a rebuilding team. They have a younger team. They have some pieces, some older guys in there too. But they have a good mix of you know new talent, old talent. I want to see where Jake Neighbors ranks. So if I'm playing him in a somewhat regular shift against the Arizona Coyotes, and he's better than two lines of players that the Coyotes have, I know I have an NHLer. So against Colorado, it's a little more difficult. They're a very deep team now. They weren't as deep the other night because they had a rash of injuries and COVID and things like that, which was welcomed. Mm-hmm. It is what good, it is. Good right? timing, thanks. It is what it, we went through it last year, so screw you, Colorado. Mm-hmm. But uh, he played less. You know, played nine minutes. But still, by the way, let's go back to that for a second. He got on the penalty kill. Guys, you know what the score was when he was on the penalty kill? 0-0. Zero, zero. Wow, that's trust. It's trust. Yeah. 37 seconds. I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you have a two-minute penalty, 37 seconds is an eternity in the NHL. And Craig Berube had him out there killing penalties, and he still managed to find him, what, nine minutes and change for the game. I would imagine that he plays, you know, 11 to 12 minutes a game tonight against Arizona. I just think it's this is the way you're going to gauge, Donnie, to your point. You're going to gauge how good Jake Neighbors is in these games here. And then Vegas, I would sit him against Vegas. I would sit him. Now some people are like, "Well, no, I want to see what he can do." You just had him play against Colorado and you're not going if he was not if he didn't have this nine game thing to worry about, I play him every game because I'm not worried about Jake Neighbors. But if I'm going to strategically place him in the very first game, that's a great one. Get it out of your system, kid. Okay, we got 82 of these games. Get yeah, it out of your system. Yeah, don't sit there and think about it. Yep. Yeah. No, here get your family in here. It's going to be an event. We're going to have a blast. You're going to be great. Boom, done. Then I play him against Arizona to see where he ranks with some of the other young talent in the NHL and maybe a bigger role in that game. Then I give him a breather against Vegas. One, you're looking to extend his time as long as you possibly can here in the NHL. And it gives him a chance to get away from a team with so much depth and have a look-see from the press box, see how it is, you know, and then see how he reacts to it. Because if he's going to be a healthy scratch from time to time as a young guy, how does he react to it? How does he do at the rink? Does he work out? Does he, I know he's going to do all those things, but again, you just want to see it for your, for yourself. And then Vegas, a very deep team. You know, would he play great against them? Probably, but that's the one I'd give him a rest and then kind of refocus from there. Okay, I would so- definitely have him in the lineup for next Saturday, though. Here, the home opener. Yeah. All right, so. I mean, the kid's got to find a girlfriend. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Maybe he has one so, or two. All right. So, and this is kind of a question that I probably should have asked last week before the season started. Probably. But I thought that it was sort of telling that Clem Costin was the last cut. You know, in order to make room for the long-term IR thing, they had to send him down, and then they brought him right back up, or what have you. But. Costin is in kind of one of those weird spots where dude's got to play to prove that he belongs here, but there are so many other, this team is so deep. Is he really going to get the opportunity to show that, that 
you know, that he can be a, a player for this team. Because, man, it just seems like the longer that this goes on and the more Jake neighbors kind of jump him in line, you just start to wonder if maybe Costin becomes a trade chip or something along those lines. Yeah, you never know. Uh, I do still think the jury's out on James Neal. And I we raved about him. He did a great job. But the problem that James Neal is going to have is that he's an old veteran guy, that he's not a massive difference maker. Maybe. I'm just I'm t- I'm looking at spots in your lineup where you could elevate Jake Neighbors or elevate Clem Costin so that you get both of these guys in your lineup because I think that they both could play in the same uh, in the same roster at the same time but Clem Costin in my opinion is going to have to get a real shot here that shot's on the third line and the Thomas Tarasenko Neil line the other night meh meh mm-hmm. they didn't really get any opportunities uh, they. Colorado was strategically changing their lines to put their number one line out there against the Thomas line, as well as Krug and Falk on defense. They were targeting uh, Krug on every zone entry. Colorado was going to the left side. So what I'm saying is that maybe you give Clem Costin a chance on one of those lines. And maybe James Neal, at $750,000 and you're a veteran guy, you know the healthy scratches are coming. In your lineup card, wherever it is, you know they're coming. You're not going to play 82 games. No matter how much you think you can or how great you did in training camp or preseason, you're 33 years old or whatever it is, 34 years old, you're not playing 82 games. I can guarantee you that. So if I'm Craig Berube, I'm slotting in Clint Costin or Jake Neighbors into that left-wing spot as much as I possibly can. And then when you look at Brandon Saad the other night, they, Craig Berube mixes and matches those wingers all the time. So I could see a Clem Costin getting a chance at some point with O'Reilly and Perron and Jake Neighbors with O'Reilly and Perron just to see what you have here. I think he's going to stay as far as Clem Costin is concerned. I think he's going to get an opportunity. And then obviously what he does with that opportunity is, is up to him because Jake Neighbors, he, he got an opportunity tonight and he left us all wanting more. Clem Costin has to do the same thing. Okay. So I want to ask about something that you just said a couple of minutes ago oh about the defense. Can you remind me? Uh, yes, <laughs> about Tory Krug. Yes, you said that they and you can. You said that they were essentially attacking him. Yeah, can you talk about that? What do, what the hell does that mean? Because that doesn't sound great for a guy that we've signed for another six friggin' years to like fifty million more friggin' dollars. Yeah, so I guess the the verbiage I use is probably pretty strong. It's a you know, that hockey lingo, right? When they say they were targeting a guy, and it's not like football where you're trying to take somebody's head off and things like that, but you identify. Sometimes when you're creating offense and you're practicing your game strategy leading up to it, you identify certain lines and certain pairings that you can attack more aggressively offense with your offense. And what I noticed the other night was that the Avalanche were, certainly they were matching their top line against the Thomas Tarasenko and Neal line, which was a it was lopsided. It was lopsided throughout the game. And in fact, Costa Blues a goal um, in the third period, I believe. They got stuck out there when they shouldn't have been. They lost a face-off, boom, puck ended up in the back of the net. But as far as the off-the-rush stuff, is Tory Krug, because of his lack of size, he has difficulty holding the blue line at times. And because he, if he bodies up against somebody, doesn't all, he's not going to overpower anybody. Okay? Right. So you have to use your smarts. And usually what that means is you try to direct the player into bad ice. You let that good player skate himself into bad ice. What does that mean? It means I take away the middle of the ice. I use my stick as a deterrent, and I try to get you to go to an area. Like herding cattle, okay? 
You stand somewhere where you don't want the cows to go, and you try to direct them back to where you want them to go. That's why the dogs run on the side and all that yeah. stuff. So, again, same thing. You're trying to guide the offensive player to an area that is less desirable for him and better for you. Now, the problem is that when Krug gets there, sometimes he can't finish out the guy. Can't necessarily match it physically. So the Avalanche were taking advantage of that, and also he has to give up the blue line more in order to let that player skate himself into bad ice. So when that happens is once they gain the blue line, now all bets are off, right? Now you can chip it behind the D. You can have a guy slash supporting behind him to pick up the loose puck. And now chaos. You've got pucks and guys everywhere. It it just was noticeable. And it's game one. It's game one. There's lots of things that can change. Um, the forwards could have been doing a better job, too, of taking away the middle of the ice. Don't let them there. The back pressure, the one goal, Robert Thomas skates right to the same guy that Tory Krug is covering. Tory Krug made no mistake on that. The gap wasn't very good to start with, for sure. But after that, he made no mistake. He took the middle lane drive guy. Robert Thomas is supposed to take the wide guy who ended up scoring the goal. They both went to the middle lane drive guy. Then the wide guy was open into back of the net. All I'm saying is that right now, that's what's, the teams that have the high-end talent are going to look for ways to create their offense. And right now, that looked like one thing the other night. Yeah, it's it's like mismatches, right? Like, so if, uh, I mean, for lack of a, a better uh, example, like, you know, tonight for the, the Titans, they're not going to go to to Trey White's side on the Bills' defense. They're going to always go to the right mm-hmm. side, which is uh, Travion Johnson's side, and he's just not as strong as Trey. It's like when Rob Gronkowski ends up with a cornerback in coverage. Well, that's a massive size difference, and you know that Brady just throws it up there and Gronk just jumps up and grabs it, and the other guy can't. It's like a bug off the windshield. Uh, we haven't uh, talked about our goalie's performance yet. Oh, my God, Jeff. Bennington, maybe you've heard of him. Your thoughts on his performance. Oh, Jamie, my God, Jamie Jeff. Rivers, go. I don't know what just happened there. I don't but either. I, I don't know it. what his deal is today, I but it. I like it a lot. I thought he I thought he had a fantastic game. Incredible. Tell me why I'm wrong. Oh, you're not wrong. Oh, hey. No, you're 100% right. And watching him on Saturday night was incredible because it reminded me of just how good Jordan Bennington really is. And for the people who are like, well, you know, they're skeptical, go screw yourself. Seriously. <laughs> Honestly, watch him. Watch him in 2019. I know that was, oh, my God, that's a one-time thing. No, the next year for 70 games, he was incredible, too. The bubble screwed up everybody. And last year, I don't even know what last year was. There's no fans. There's kind of this. There's coaches with, you know, netting behind them. It was just a different animal altogether. And Jordan Bennington still ended up the last half of the season playing extremely well. One of the major reasons the Blues even made the playoffs because Jordan Bennington decided it was lockdown time. Saturday night was incredible. He was at the top of the paint. Very few rebounds. He made it made it look effortless. He had some post to post saves that were just shot, and he like grabbed them. And it was like didn't even break a sweat. And then how about Miko Rantanen? That guy can't even go to sleep anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah. without thinking of Jordan Bennington. As Bennington slides across and so far has a save of the year on this one. Split save into a glove. Like Miko Rantanen's a monster. That guy can fire a puck hundred miles an hour. Forget about it. Good luck. Try next time. Jordan Bennington was was incredible, and he changes the dynamic of the game. And what I mean by that is it lets your team be way more aggressive because there's no worrying about your goaltender. And what it does, it gets in the other team's head, too. Because after that, Miko Rantanen got another puck in the third period. Probably should have shot. He looked for a pass. (laughs) It got disrupted. The Blues went the other way. Nothing happened. So if your goalie not only gets in your own head, like your team, to where we can be invincible— but at the same time gets in the opposition's head as to you better not shoot, look for a bigger, better play. 
You've won that game, man. How many games will Bennington get before Huso gets in a game? Oh, man, I don't know. That's a really good question. There's two ways to go about it. Um, you know, Personally, I'd probably play Huso tonight against Arizona and come back with Bennington uh, against Vegas. Well, that's Wednesday, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, what, that's what I would do and then kind of build your schedule from there. Just that way that I got both goalies get they get the they get to play early in the season. For me, I don't like having one goalie carry the ball for 15 games or 12 games to start the season. And then you've got your backup guy cold basically coming in against teams. All the teams now have played a number of games and they're clicking and they've figured out their offense and their power plays better and all these things. I'd rather give Billy Huso a shot against the Arizona Coyotes to where they're maybe not so organized, maybe not the best team in the league, but then you know that you're coming back with your ace of spades for the Vegas game in Jordan Bennington. That would be my opinion. I don't think Craig Berube will take very long in getting Ville Husso his first games. Very good. Uh, you know what? We got a sponsor now, so I got to do a sponsor. I'd hit it if I was you. And I almost and I almost forgot about it. But uh, we're still we'll, talking about the sponsor, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, the Last Minute Blues Podcast is brought to you by Together Credit Union, empowering you to achieve your financial goals. I got to tell you, everything in my head right now is very negative about Tory Krug, and I got to get out of this. I got to get out of this. No, but Donnie, I got to get out of this way of thinking with this. Get guy. out of that. Okay, so here because it's the type of defenseman in which that he is. And I, I don't know what I expect. It's my expectations that are the problem. I, I, I very much realize that. I just see that guy, our lack of size on defense, and yeah. how much money he makes, and that's when I start to, you know, red flags when, at least are popping up in my head. When I think of Tory Krug, I think of him being smaller and getting pushed around in front of our own net, and I don't want that. I want no, but to he's be, always been the I same want to think size, of his guys. offensive stuff. Think about this for a second. He's always been the same size, and if you look at his resume, he's had an incredible career. Right. So I mean, how did that happen? It wasn't a mistake. It, Doug like, Armstrong is not giving this dude that much money no. and, uh, for what no reason. What they've got to find is, uh, is Justin Falk the right partner for him? Not that Justin Falk isn't a great player. He is. But is he the right partner? Should they go looking for an oak tree? Does he ultimately end up playing with Colton Pareko? Maybe. I don't know. You know, time will tell. But Tory Krug is one of the best power play defensemen in the NHL. He carries the puck extremely well. He plays with a lot of heart. He'll block shots with his face. He brings so much to the table. So that's why I said earlier, I don't want the verbiage to be so so strong. I'm just describing how Colorado looked at it. Now, that doesn't mean the Arizona Coyotes are going to do that. How many teams are as good as Colorado in the NHL? Not, Not a bunch of them. Not many, right? So you don't have to necessarily worry about that on a regular basis. And... You're going to figure out more about your team. And then maybe it's a different forward line that you make sure you're playing with that pair of defensemen so that they can be a little more aggressive and Tory Crew can stand up in the neutral zone and get that support back. Like, there's a lot of things that go into it. I'm sorry. I, I don't just... want you, Donnie, I see tears forming. Oh, no, and no, no, I don't no. want them. No, this is, this is a good. But, like, if you have the last change, or no, yeah. I'm sorry, sorry. If you don't have the last change, yeah. how do you manipulate the lineup so that. Krug is not out there with that same well, line. It's easy. I mean, the coaching staff's the the head coach walks down to the D coach and says, "Oh, by the way, I'd rather not have that pairing on the ice with this forward line. This forward line is up next, so change Switch your pairings." Up. And that's it. So then, every time, hypothetically, and I don't know this, hypothetically, if you're like Thomas, your line, Tomer, your line. 
that point, Mike Van Ryan would either take Krug and Falk off the ice or make sure they don't go and he come back with a different line. And you want you want the, him. You and want, I'm not saying they did that. Right. No, but I your idea know. is to to pair him with forwards that can come back and help right, out like, from a physical standpoint. Me, well, or just being in good areas, right? So for me, the ultimate pairing for them is the O'Reilly line or the Shen line. Put them out there with them. Heck, even the fourth line with Bozak, Barbashev, and Jake Neighbors the other night. That's a good line. Just for not for whatever reason. We know the reason why maybe it wasn't a perfect match because Tom, uh, Robert Thomas, Vladimir Tarasenko, and James Neal uh, may not be Selkie Trophy candidates. <laughs> no, may you not. So? You're being very, very nice, Jimmy. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> what is? Uh, I want to go back to Jake Neighbors because I mean, I just. The guy fascinates me, especially because of his age. And I want you to go back to that age after your first game mm-hmm. in the NHL. It's such a young age. Whoa, uh, such a young age. What is he thinking right now? Does is he going over tape right now? Is he going? Oh my gosh, I did well. Is he going? Oh my gosh, I laid an egg. What's going through his head right now? Uh, well, first of all, he's excited that it's over with. You know, hey, now I belong here, and I got that game under my belt, and all the other stuff can just kind of be put over to the side. But second of all. You know, the coaching staff, and I know the Blues coaching staff is incredible at this. The next day, they're the, following the game, they're probably talking to him very briefly on the plane. Hey, great job tonight. Really like what I saw. Blah, 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 blah. Let's talk tomorrow. And then following it up in the morning and grabbing the young man at the rink and doing a couple of video clips, maybe a couple of really great plays. This was awesome. We saw this. We saw this. And then maybe a couple of plays were maybe they're not bad, but hey, we had other options here. If you watch this guy, watch Ryan O'Reilly or David Perron in this situation or Brandon Saad, here's what they do in this situation here. You're continuous. You're you're continuing to develop this kid every single day. Now, without overloading him, there'll be days where you give him nothing. That's what I was concerned about because it's one thing for a 24-year-old, 23-year-old to get all of this information mm-hmm. after one game, but a 19-year-old or whatever But you can tell is. by the player's personality. And right now, Jake Neighbors' personality is one that tells me that he craves the information and that he's a sponge. So if that's the case, then if you don't give him information or if you don't call him into those meetings and talk to him, it could send him the other way because he's thinking is that he'll get his own head like, oh, what am I doing wrong, right? No, let's make it easy. Here's what you're doing right. Here's what you could do better. And we'll talk again tomorrow if you'd like. Or how about this? Every morning when you come in and grab your coffee or your protein shake or your juice or your fruit cup, whatever it is that you get to the rink and do, why don't you check in with us? Or if you have any questions, come on in. Check in with Coach Sean Farrell, the video guy, blah, blah, blah. It makes it easy so that every day is just sort of habit for me. You get in there, you check in, you see your thing. Oh, nothing big today. Hey, I saw this player. Hey, did you see that goal by so-and-so last night? Yeah, I saw it. Well, we think you can do this. Now, back now, when he goes in, he, he has a choice of juice and water yeah. and protein shakes and stuff like mm. that. When you went in, yeah. back in the day, it was like raw bacon. And stuff, uh, and Jägermeister. Coffee. Um, and <laughs> sand. You actually drank sand. Sand. And yeah. then um, a healthy dose of the Vicks Vapor Rub. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know why we did that, Jeff? No. Why? Okay. Um, well, it's it's uh, allergy and flu season. Sure. Right? So everybody's got a little cough. So if maybe you had a few too many Budweiser's the night before or Crown Royals the night before, there's usually a smell that accompanies you. It comes oh, out of your pores. That's right. Oh. Right? So you get in there early and just be like, oh, I just don't feel good. And the trainer's always like, okay, well, stay away. And I'm like, on oh, my chest. And 
okay, here's some Vicks Vaporub. Put that sucker on. One, it clears you up right away. Sure. It kind of wakes you up. But then when the coaching staff have you, like when you're sweating and when all the booze is coming out of you, it smells like Vicks Vaporub. <laughs> like poor poor Riff's got a bit of a cold. Although ladies, the old again, guys. Again, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, a professional. Just a professional. <laughs> yeah, except Jimmy Roberts was great. When he was here, he'd be like, oh, you got one of the longest colds I've ever seen. <laughs> that, that cold uh, lasted yeah. the entire California trip. Crazy, That's the huh? three-year cold you've had. Hey, man, I, I want to ask specifically about that community. Communication uh, with a younger player. I mean, obviously, man, I know that it is critically important to that player's, you know, uh, uh, you know, growing. But, but I'm just curious as how, how does a coach handle that because that's a really delicate situation with a 19 year old that you're trying to build confidence, but at the same time you want to keep the guy in check so that he. You know what I mean? Like it just mm-hmm. that role is so fascinating to me when it comes to a younger player. Can you kind of talk about that when it comes to the coach's side of things? Yeah, I mean we kind of alluded to it a couple minutes ago, but it's knowing the player. You know, knowing what you have here and Jake Neighbors is a true professional already or he's at least headed in that direction and you can always tell by the player if they're Somebody who's going to be able to handle it, someone who you've got to keep a real close eye on because, hey, they start to enjoy the life a little bit too much. And there's other guys where you're like, hey, go out and enjoy yourself a little bit. Like, this isn't all business all the time. Right. So I think it's just a personality thing. They, they've gotten – this is why it's important to have that daily communication with the players. It doesn't mean you go and sit down and have a chalk talk every day. No, this is why you have Steve Ott. This is why you have Jim Montgomery. This is why you have Mike Van Ryan. This is why you have Sean Farrell. Other people who are in your locker room – even the equipment guys and assistant equipment guys, grab a coffee and go sit next to the kid. Just whatever. Hey, what'd you do last night? You know, I know you're living with Shenner, which he's living with Braden Shen right now. We're talking about a positive role model yeah. right there, right? You're living with Shenner. Oh, how is it over there? How do you like it? You know, you know, did you want to live on your own? And are you ready to do that? And you find out things about the kid. Yeah, I'm totally ready for that. But Shenner's awesome. And, you know, and you build this relationship. And then the next day it's a different coach comes in. And maybe you talk about a different hockey game. That was on the night before, and you ask him about a certain game, and the, the, for me, I would do that. I'd ask kids, you know, about the game, and when they knew about something, I'm like, okay, they're watching hockey. I know that they're watching. They're dialed in. They remember the certain play, the certain player, the 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 goal, the assist, whatever it was. They're dialed in. They're watching hockey, which is good because as much as you say, oh, you got to get away from the game. I don't want to take it completely away from my guys. And I know the married guys have kids and interests and all that. But the younger guys, I want to know what they're doing because if they're a boozing all night, odds are that they weren't watching the hockey game or like last night the uh, the Sunday night football game. Oh, who'd you have in that game? You know, what'd you think of this play here or that play? You find out where they're at. Where'd you watch the game? Did you watch it with Shannon? Did you watch it? like you just you build your own little thing and then every day you have some kind of a touch as far as like talking to this individual so that you increase the level of comfort. You bring them into the family. And you get to know them. And by doing all those things, you can coach them way more appropriately. Man, just think about the the people behind the bench for the Blues. Those are the kind of people I want doing this. Like think Craig, about that. Craig Berube talking like this to Monty, this kid. How about Steve Ott? How about oh, Steve man. Ott talking to this kid like Mike this? Mike Van Ryan was a young kid, came into St. Louis to all of these yeah, guys. Yeah, see, he's the one I don't know much about personality-wise, but the two we just mentioned seem like they would not. And Monty, so, Jim Montgomery is one of the best guys ever he, I mean, Monty has lived a life. Yeah. Okay. He was one of the best college players to ever play college hockey, ever, in, ever, Bob. 
And so he went on to have a great minor league career, played overseas. He's been a great coach. He's been a, a we know the Dallas Stars. They were almost ultimately successful had it not been for Pat Maroon mm-hmm. and putting that thing away on Ben Bishop. But Monty's got that great person who loves to laugh and joke with the guys. Otter does. Sean Farrell's a very straight and narrow guy, like the, but he's an awesome dude. And so when you go into the video room and you're talking to Sean Farrell, he's going to give you what you need to know. He's going to tell you. Maybe if you're not doing something right, maybe if a little birdie told him something, he's going to communicate it to you. Or maybe if a little birdie told him there's certain clips that he needs to pull on certain players, maybe you get the heads up. It's all about relationships inside that locker room. I, uh, I This is completely fascinating to, to, to me, but I saw this video from the Leafs game, I think it was last Thursday or Friday, and it was their equipment manager, and we had mm. seen something like this last year where the uh, where the, the equipment manager handed a player a, st- a stick, mid-shift, guy goes in and scores. Yep. Well, so this was a video of this guy having his fingers on the tops of the sticks of literally everyone that was on the ice at that moment and then changing as the players change. Yeah, like so then piano. that way uh, Yeah, so then so that like way if these three guys like are on this, the ice, he's got his watching, hands on like their Watching like if Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are on the ice together, he has Marner stick and Matthews stick. And if they break one, he pulls it up, boom. Or Marner stick, boom. And if wow. it changes to, like as soon as the puck changes players, he moves his hand or he puts the sticks together in their groups of five. And I mean, you talk uh, about locked in. Yeah. I mean, to be able to do that, you are watching the game on a level that I cannot. And I just thought that How it was the coolest thing. How does he have nachos during the game? <laughs> I guess he's no, not. anymore. Don't get to. Not anymore. Can you imagine Mar- Mitch Marner skating around with nacho cheese on his stick? That'd, that'd be, be funny. A, that'd Jimmy be Roberts, um, <laughs> before we... Before we head out, I love I love Jimmy Roberts. I love telling Jimmy Roberts stories. And this one goes back to the minors because um, I had Jimmy in the minors before I had him here in St. Louis. And Jimmy used to chew tobacco. And he would put a big lipper in and start of the game. And he would spit it out in the intermissions. But every time the period started, he'd have a new lipper in. And he would be yelling and screaming and this and that and the other. It's no big deal. It is what it is. Well, after the game, once he would come in and do his speech and whatnot, we'd close the door and say, okay, let's see him. So everybody take off their jerseys. Oh, no. And you could always tell who had the least amount of ice time because they had the most chew spit on them. Oh, because Jimmy stood goodness. in the middle of the bench. Gracious. And if you're sitting in the middle of the bench, it usually means that you're the grocery stick, right? You're separating the defenseman from the forwards. And that guy usually ended up with most of the chew spit on his back. <laughs> so he would have to buy the first round. <laughs> Wait, what, So what he was... got sped on the most and had to buy the first round? Yeah, that sucks, didn't get to play. Didn't he should have play. played better. I guess you're right. What did you call it? The grocery stick? Yeah, you know the thing in the grocery store where you put it on the little thing, the runner? Oh, the oh, oh on the conveyor. Yeah, the yeah, grocery yeah. stick. How do you separate the guy's groceries in front of you? With the grocery the stick. Grocery so stick. the defense on one side, the forwards on the other, and the grocery stick is the guy who never played. <laughs> Fantastic, <laughs> guys! I, I, can I? I want to end. I want to end our podcast on a story. End it? Can I throw something out real fast? Oh yeah, yeah. Before you, your story, you, you though? should because this is going to bring the house. Down. <laughs> okay, great. Oh, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bringing the house. Down. Yeah, yeah. Hundred percent. You guys oh, are going to love this. All what right. did you say? What was the term that you said that I reiterated out on the podcast on on Friday? Play like you're in a bad mood. Yeah. I, I would like to end every podcast, at least when there's a game that night or coming up. Who needs to play tonight that, that like they're in a bad mood? Um, for me, James Neal. If James Neal is in the lineup tonight, because this would be a game where maybe I'd give him a rest too, and he really didn't do a whole heck of a lot in game one, um, he needs to be in a bad mood. 
Okay. It was very not noticeable. It was not great. For that line, they, they didn't have a very productive line, not just on the score sheet. It was just very gray. Like, Which is unfortunate because he had all kinds of momentum if there is such a thing in professional yeah. sports. But, um, yeah. So he's a guy right now who can bring the physicality and can be in a bad mood. He needs to play tonight like he's in a horrible mood, like he might be scratched soon. Okay. That kind of All right, bring down the house, brother. Saturday night, I was unable to watch uh, much of the Blues game because Mary and I had a date night. Oh, yeah, I saw that. We had not had a date night in months, months and months. So Mary asks uh, me early last week, what do you want to do? And I said, you know what? We will do whatever you want to do. So she chooses a haunted house, which is my pretty much least favorite thing to do and that I just don't like being scared. All right. We go to the haunted house. We have a blast. We go to DB's afterwards. We have drinks. We just have a really great time. So we go back home. Kids are in bed. So it's time. Oh, baby. All right. Things are happening, right? Things are going on. All right. Things are going really, really great. Hang on. How many drinks did you have to have Mary? Uh, And then all of us, I think she only had three. All of a sudden, a knock on our bedroom door. We have three kids, ages 12, 13, and 21. Anybody want to take a guess who's knocking on the door? The 21-year-old. The 21-year-old. Of course. Then you can just, but you can tell the 21-year-old. It's beat it. It's midnight. He's knocking on the closed bedroom door Mm -hmm. because he needs to borrow my computer. Mm. Tell him you're using it. I said, I said, we're kind of sleeping in here. And then he says, oh, I'll just use it tomorrow morning. Why? If, if you could wait. Why are you doing that? Wait, did that really slow you down? Listen, man. That would it have was, even been a speed It was bump. a bump in the road for me, for yeah. sure. And then he moved out yesterday. Like a pothole? Or? He, he, he moved out yesterday. Yesterday, was he, he moved into a new apartment. You with kicked him cousin. out of the house for that? No. no. <laughs> but after I told him that he could use the computer and that I was busy, I said to Mary... Yeah, I think it's time for him to move on. Yeah, uh-huh. so I you bought him a house. I, I, right? I think it's time. Well, I wish, but <laughs> he would but that have that my, night. Here, <laughs> take it all. What? That, was, that was my if Saturday. You could have just voice. waited one more night. That's it. We're ending the story there. Can we not pick up where we left off? All right. So he knocks on the door. You say we're kind of busy in here. Mm-hmm. Right. He leaves, and then you just jump back in. Absolutely. So, like two minutes later, you talk was, to him. I didn't. What'd you say? What? It is a last minute blues podcast. Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton. Yeah, Jamie Rivers here, too. Uh, the, blue, the Blues season has started, so we'll be back a little bit later on this week with a second episode of the Last Minute Blues podcast. We always appreciate you listening. Make sure you're sharing us with your hockey-loving friends. And as always, let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues podcast. Hear more at 1057thepoint.com. Powered by Together Credit Union. Empowering you to achieve your financial goals. Peloton, let's go. This holiday... With the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com home dash trial. Peloton. Motivation that moves you.